The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. My youngest nephew started third grade the other week, and I was talking to him on the phone about it. I asked him, you know, what's your teacher like? What are your classmates like? Are you having fun? I wondered if he knew anybody from second grade or whether some of his friends were in his class this year. His response was, well, some of my friends are in my class. Uh, the others are innocents. <laughs> innocence. <laughs> I said, oh, I wonder what you mean by that, Corin. <laughs> I kind of think that he meant acquaintances, um, but he also might have, in fact, meant that the children who don't know him yet are innocent of his corruption. So, <laughs> now in our lives were bound to meet lots and lots of different people. Some of them will be our friends. Some will be loved ones. Some will be just acquaintances. Or some might even be people that we don't really like very much. And there might even be an innocent or two sprinkled in there as well. Our lives are hopefully full of lots and lots of different people, and hopefully our faith lives will also be full of a diversity of people as well. We all are called to be Christian people together, to be a part of a community. You're not called to be a Christian alone. Jesus knew this when he was giving these very handy instructions on how to deal with difficult people. It's essentially another commandment here because it leads us to learn how to love one another. Jesus knows that we're going to come into contact with those who could potentially sin against us and those whom we will probably mostly surely sin against in our lives. And as we have journeyed this summer through the stories of the Abrahamic family, we know that relationships often become messy. There's different dynamics at play. That's true then, and it's true in the wanderings of the Israelite community bickering amongst each other. It's true when we get to the stories of the judges and the kings and the times in exile. And now Jesus is laying the foundation for how 
people who follow him should live together. And that's all of you. (laughs) He's talking to you today. So when we are in relationship with each other, conflict is bound to arise because we're different people, different experiences, struggles, viewpoints, baggage, some traumas, and we're not perfect. We are saints at times, but we are sinners at other times. It's not really a matter of if, it's a matter of when the conflict is going to happen. So it's really convenient that Jesus gives us a step-by-step tutorial for how to deal with conflict, or as he puts it, when someone sins against you. Now remember that word sin is meaning what draws you away from God and what draws you away from one another. It's doing something that hurts a relationship. And as Christians, we love to focus on what it means to forgive. But we forget that to get to the forgiveness part, we have to go through the conflict part. Before forgiveness comes confession and repentance and this desire for people to change. Yet, working up the courage to come to a person who you have hurt or who you believe has hurt you, that's really not something to be understated. It takes a lot of courage. It might even take a little advice from some confidants or a time of prayer to figure out how to approach the situation. Now, if you're like me, that's difficult. And if you're also like me, perhaps you too have operated under this belief that people around you are just supposed to know when you're mad at them. (laughs) Without you having to tell them that they've done something wrong. But now, myself being in a committed relationship and on the verge of marriage, it's been kind of an unpleasant awakening to realize that Ethan, my significant other, can't read my mind. And that no amount of silence ever really clears the air or heals our disputes. I know that's shocking to you, but... Indeed, as Ethan and I have been doing some premarital counseling, the book we're reading together talks about the statistics around couples who never disagree or argue, and it's not good. It's not good. People who don't argue with each other or have conflict don't end up sticking together. And what's more is that I've really been seeing this pattern that in relationships, relationships that have regular types of conflict or disagreement and differences, when we work through those things, it really brings us closer together. It allows us to understand the other person a little bit better and to even have empathy and compassion for them because we allow ourselves to know each other better when we work through the things that we think separate us. And when we work through those things, when we work through the sin, we are essentially dismantling it. And it, in essence, teaches us how to love each other better the greatest commandment. Now, one disclaimer here is that we're talking about regular types of conflict. This isn't about whether you need to go to someone who murdered your pet toad or killed your second cousin. Now, 
I jest about that, but seriously. It's not for you to go to someone who could potentially hurt or harm you further, or somebody that makes you unsafe by being with them. Today in the Gospel of Matthew, we're called by Jesus to work through just regular kinds of interpersonal conflict, ones that we'll consistently come upon in our day-to-day lives. And what this is teaching us is that what we're not supposed to do is to ignore it or gossip about it with others or keep it to ourselves and shove it way deep down so that we just become so angry at this other person that we avoid them altogether and thereby further the sin or the brokenness of the relationship. Instead, today Jesus calls us to be healers of the sin, to restore relationships, to work through it until we've done all that we can. That's why Jesus gives us those nice little um, pathways to it, right? Go first by yourself, then bring a friend, then take it to the community. And only then, if the person doesn't have any desire to change or repent or heal the relationship, only then should the relationship be broken or ended. And that's true. There are times where relationships need to be broken or ended. Sometimes a person does need to be outside of your circle for the sake of your own well-being, or somebody needs to be more of an acquaintance than a close friend. But I want you to notice something about our text. It says, let this person be to you as a tax collector or as a Gentile. Now, in Jesus's time, tax collectors, people didn't like them very much, and we might not like them either, but they are people who Jesus ate with. They are people who Jesus called to follow him. And Gentiles, those non-Jewish folks, are people who often proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, who knew Jesus, and who later the Apostle Paul will proclaim will be grafted onto the family tree of God. We might glance over this and read, Gentiles and tax collectors, that equals no good, very bad. But in reality, these are people who maybe aren't perfect, who get a bad rap for things, but they might have really wonderful qualities in other areas, or at least the potential to be better. These are not people who are shunned by God. They're not outside the realm of relationship with God. Just because it might not work to heal the brokenness between us and them, it doesn't mean that God doesn't see them as somebody who is worthy and capable of being made new, of changing. The opportunity for change is never cut off with God. Now, recently in my own life, I was talking with a friend who had someone else do something towards them that hurt them. After hearing this friend out and hearing all the details and not hearing that they were going to go and speak to this other person about it, I asked them if, as a Christian, they believed that this person who had hurt them and who was also a Christian was really as bad as they were describing them. Did they really believe that this conflict fully encompassed 
who this other person was. It's easy to fall into that. It's easy when we're angry or hurt to make the other person seem like kind of a villain. And that is when we have to remember where Jesus is present in all of this. We have to remember that while all of these rules around how to approach conflict can feel very kind of law-centric, that Jesus did come to fulfill the law, but Jesus came to fulfill the law through grace. And as we continue on, we hear that Jesus proclaiming when two or three are gathered in my name, even when they're having conflict amongst themselves, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus is there. And if we ask for Jesus to come into this conflict, as Jesus says, whatever the two of you ask, it will be granted. Sometimes that phrase is cherry-picked to seem like it's about asking for stuff, but it's really around conflict and coming together in relationship. It's about reconciliation and agreeing with one another. When grace is in the midst of us, when Jesus is in the midst of us, when we invite Jesus into our conflict of our lives, it reminds us that no one is outside the realm of God's grace. No one is incapable of being beloved of God. No one is outside of God's redemption. Believing that Jesus is among us means believing that Jesus is so capable of moving and working within all of us and within every relationship we have. So I want us to imagine what that would be like. For us to enter into conflict with someone else truly believing that Jesus was actively at work in the moment. Because I think that anxiety beforehand would turn into a little more hopefulness. That closed off kind of vilification of the other person might allow us to be more open and to go into those situations trying to believe the best in the other person and to try to see them in the way that Jesus sees the goodness in all of us. And we are lucky because being a Christian in a community offers us a pathway for being in the world. It helps us navigate all these difficult things that we will most surely face, but in a way that offers a lot more hopefulness and peace. So today, let us all be thankful to God for that. Amen.